to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had the life change about the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest for us here, a legend, one of the greatest front people ever, ever, from the band Mr. Epp and the Calculations, from Green River, from Monkey Wrench, from a little band called Mud Honey, Mark Arm is on the show today. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with us here, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. And those emails go to my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. If you also want to follow us, we have a Facebook page that he runs and an Instagram page. Both of those can be found at Turned Out of Punk on the respective platforms. If you want to get in touch with me more directly, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for damien If you want to support the show, the best way of doing that is by telling all your friends about it. Just letting them know that you're listening to this thing and there's some stuff on here that you think they might dig. Uh, you can also support this show by heading over to the Patreon page, uh, Patreon.com slash Punk and checking that out there. And you can also support the show by writing a review and subscribing to it on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to this thing on. Um, and that would be great. Speaking of support, this show would not be possible with the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a couple years ago and said, Damien, just do what you do. Just don't lose money doing it. And, and that's what I've been doing. And they let me book whoever I want. And it's been, it's been great. It's been a, a lot of fun so far uh, doing this thing. And on to today's show. Today on the show, one of the most legendary uh, front people ever, as I said off the top, Mark Arm from the band Mud Honey, from Mr. Up in the Calculations, from Green River, one of my favorite bands ever. He, he doesn't share the same opinion about the record on Homestead that I do. I, I, I don't know. I love that record. You'll hear about it in a second. Um, yeah, this is someone who I've been a massive fan of. I think, I think if I'm being honest, since... Since like, uh, you know, Black Sheep, I think was probably where I really got into this band. I was a fan of them before, but I remember seeing that movie and being like, this is the coolest band ever. And in getting into it, of course, I'm talking about the late, great Chris Farley's film from the mid nineties, who they have a, a cameo in and, uh, yeah, I became a fan of them and, and just have seen them a bunch since then. And every time it just blows my mind and drops my jaw. They are that band for me, some of the best choices and covers ever too, like a record collector's band. So the opportunity to sit down with Mark and talk about this stuff. Oh, I relished it. I relished it. You'll hear about it right here. I went to school. He took me to school and, uh, and you're about to enjoy the, uh, the fruits of my education right now. Uh, there are two notes I have to get to. I say direct diction and I meant deranged Diction. I get it confused with direct action in my head. Also, the band that uh, we both were fumbling for and we could not remember was Who Killed Society, I believe, who do become Circle Seven. So you'll hear Mark was kind of kind of getting there, uh, but you know we didn't get to it in time, so I got to it on the notes. Uh, that's it. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Mark Arm on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, my pleasure, Damien. Well, as I was just telling that, you, that sound professional. <laughs> that sounded very professional. As I was just telling you off air, uh, we've talked. We've talked a few times over the years. I actually have a picture of you and myself and my eldest son hanging on my wall downstairs as oh. visual documentation of us meeting before. But I've never had a chance. Sorry, go on. Was that that festival on Dundas Square? Yeah, North by Northeast all those years ago. He's he's now a 10-year-old that's obsessed with uh, 21 pilots and, and stuff like that. But I, he still gets into the mud, honey. So I like to think that <laughs> had an impression on him. I'm sure it did. <laughs> but I got to start this off, Mark, the way they all start off, which is how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Uh, the First thing I think I remember hearing about this thing called punk rock. There was like a TV show on a Saturday night. Uh, and I was just like, you know, 15 years old, 77. Um, my mom's ironing the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the TV's on and it's a show where they just were talking about this thing that's going on in England 
and they just kept showing like images of people with like safety pins in their faces and just like really, really fucking freaky looking people, looking people, especially if all you're used to is like people with feathered hair and, you know, <laughs> look like the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton and stuff like that. Um, uh, and it wasn't until like, at least in my recollection, until the end of the show that they actually showed some footage of bands and I didn't know the band at the time, but I, you know, Dave Vanian's obviously like a striking presence. Mm -hmm. So I kind of remembered it was this vampire looking guy, you know, and, uh, realized later on that it was the damned and just thinking like, ah, this doesn't sound that bad. It sounds pretty good. It sounds like kind of a faster, maybe better kiss. <laughs> Um, what kind of, you know, in addition to Kiss, like what kind of stuff had you been into prior to hearing this stuff? Oh, I would like the first album I ever bought was Sweet Desolation Boulevard. Um, and like I was into Aerosmith, I'd like really into Aerosmith, like I had all the Aerosmith records at that point, like the first four. Um, I had like one Ted Nugent record, mm -hmm. uh, free for all. Um, and I was a friend of mine from scouts. Like he had a uh, rush all the world's a stage. And I remember going over to his uh, room and listening to that and getting into that. And that's, I got sucked into rush for a, a, quite a period of time. Mm -hmm. I think mainly because it was like, they weren't played on the radio and, uh, they didn't really sing about like cars and girls and like the usual things, you know? So where was music discovery happening? Was it through friends, like with Rush? Uh, through friends, like before that, you know, it was just like what was being played on Top 40 radio. Like the, that's how I got into Aerosmith. That song Last Child off of Rocks yeah. was played on Top 40 radio. And, and I think like Dog Eat Dog by Ted Nugent was on Top 40 radio. And like that kind of drove me to look these records. And, and the suite, like, you know... Uh, First, it was Fox on the Run, and I bought that single, and then um, then Ballroom Blitz was on the radio, and I was like, ah, fuck, I might as well just get that whole record. <laughs> <laughs> it's a killer record. It is a killer record. And, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff is really, really, really rocking, like songs like Set Me Free and No You Don't, and Sweet F.A. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're definitely gravitating to kind of like the harder rock stuff. And the heavier yeah, stuff. yeah. I, I mean, even when I was like a lot younger, I was like more into like. I mean, I did buy the Seasons in the Sun single, but I was also like <laughs> really into like bought Radar Love and and uh, <laughs> Grand Funk Railroads Locomotion. Yeah, you know, I kind of tend to gravitate towards the louder stuff. It seemed like. What about like all that kind of stuff that was happening, kind of underground in Seattle at the time, like the Tupperwares and bands like that. Like, obviously you're young was, but was that on the radar at all? Was that picked up by local radio or is that completely like a different universe? No, no, that was complete. Yeah. 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 Um, there, there was like a radio station that started in like 79. It was like at the high end of the AM dial called, uh, Kazam. And they're like rock of the eighties. And, uh, what they played was pretty much, new wave with like Bruce Springsteen and the kinks mixed in. Um, I mean, they didn't really play punk rock at all. Like maybe late night you'd hear a sex pistol song or something like that. But you know, like, uh, um, I'm turning Japanese or, or like the, that was the first time I heard the B 52s rock lobster, you know, just things like that. um, and my my friends uh, from high school and I were like kind of like we would go hang out at this uh, record store in Bellevue, which is like the suburb that our high school was in, and uh, Roboto Records. And it was a used record store, and the dudes there were like a little older and they're you know a little wiser, and you know they would kind of point us in directions based on our interests, and they wouldn't laugh at me when I like bought a Jean-Luc Ponty record. 
<laughs> you know, because I was trying to figure out, you know, what what it was that I was into at that time, you know, and like I remember like uh reading an interview with Alex Lifeson and him saying his two favorite guitar players were uh oh shit, what's a guitar player from Genesis? Steve Hackett. Steve Hackett and and Alan Holdsworth. So like I kept like looking for like Steve Hackett and Alan Holdsworth records, not having any idea that they were in bands. <laughs> Well, there's no internet to go to or anything like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And taking that stuff home. But also at the same time, like, you know, we were getting into like uh, Roxy Music and, and Brian Eno Records and the Velvet Underground and, and uh, you, know, you know, things like that. Like somehow, like that was, I think Smitty was a bigger reader than I was and he was like picking up on a lot of this stuff. So where did you kind of go from like, you know, this sort of chance encounter with um, punk rock and, and the damned, I guess, uh, late at night on TV? Like, were there, you know, was it through that record store? Well, I, I, uh, I was actually kind of almost sort of more through skateboarding, but it wasn't like. Uh, like I would then uh, this next summer of 78, uh there's these these brothers that had like this ramp and i use that term really loosely because it wasn't like a ramp with like a fine transition or anything it was like a you know piece of plywood like four by eight then another piece of plywood four by eight and then someone doo, 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 you know it's like um, almost impossible to ride but <laughs> i would i would just skate over there for like you know it was a couple miles away i would skate over there and we would hang out there and um they had like uh, like three records that I remember. It was like Jimi Hendrix's Crash Landing, uh, some Led Zeppelin record, and someone had given one of the brothers like Are We Not Men as a joke. Mm -hmm. And it kind of uh, put that on. And initially it was like, oh, this is funny or whatever. And then it quickly kind of became the record that we played over and over and over again. And I think that was sort of like, for me, the gateway to punk rock was was Devo, for sure. Had you started playing music at this point? Well, I grew up taking piano lessons, but by that point I'd stopped because I was finally old enough to put down my foot and say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> it's a good foundation, though. Yeah, I guess, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I hated it so much that I did my damnedest to forget everything um but like where did you kind of go from this devo thing were you like were there other kids around you kind of getting into it at the same time i guess well like my friends from uh high school you know like what i was talking about earlier uh with like learning about like you know and stuff that was probably around the same time like 78 79 but i was still also listening to like you know what would in the future become classic rock radio, but it was still like in the present <laughs> at that time, <laughs> you know, just like album oriented rock. And what kind of stuff was that that you were listening to? Were like some of the bands that you were really into was same sort of stuff like Aerosmith and bands like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Fully. Yeah. And what was the first concert you went to? The first concert I went to was rush on the permanent waves tour. So you really got a strong Canadian connection. I, I do indeed. I, I, I mean, I would have loved to have gone to concerts well before that, but uh, uh, I just wasn't allowed. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, the suburb I lived in was like pretty remote from like the action happening downtown. I just didn't have like transportation or anything or like kids in my neighborhood that were into going to shows. And it was finally like, like rock and roll wasn't really allowed in my house and it wasn't like for religious reasons. It was just because like the music was shitty. <laughs> <laughs> like my mom was, re you know, like was really, really into classical music and just anything else was just not worth listening to. <laughs> so punk would have been really, really pushing it. Well, I mean, my mom wouldn't be able to tell the difference between like, Yes, and the electric eels. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that would just all be the same to her. 
Yeah, no, I could, I, you know, I can understand that. <laughs> uh, but like, what were some of the local bands that you saw first? Like, what was the first local concert you went to? I know there's that famous U Men show, but I think that's later on, right? What? Which famous U Men? Oh, oh, the Fire. The, the Fire show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's way later on. Um, so what was the um, first, like, not even necessarily punk, but even like sort of local rock concert you saw? Of like local bands? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think I really saw local bands till I started going to like just punk shows and in, in halls and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gone to like after Rush, I went to a couple more arena shows. Saw the Kinks twice. Here's another Canadian connection. Loverboy opened at least one of those shows. Damn, and you cover um the SCTV uh punk song as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Keeps coming back. But, well, that's that's a fucking classic tune. Uh, an amazing tune. And also, you know, it was played by the Young Lions, right? Toronto hardcore band. Oh, was it? And apparently when they were played it, they were actually like, uh, can you play it shittier? Like the first time through, they're like, <laughs> yeah, that was great. But can you go back and, and, and do a shittier take of it? Right, um, right. Uh, but so, yeah, like, I guess, you know, Canadian culture was spilling over the border. Well, on radio. you know, we're pretty close to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um. And Heart, which is like essentially a Seattle area band, mm-hmm. uh, like the the sisters grew up in Bellevue, but they they went up to Vancouver to record and make it. Like I think because one of maybe their manager was avoiding the draft or something like that, or <laughs> yep. had been in trouble. So like you know they recorded at Mushroom up there. That's also why the cannabis is so good too, is because of a lot of the people dodging the draft that had seeds coming over <laughs> the border as well. So, you know, it, it's a strong connection on both sides. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, well, I guess like, um, how did Mr. Epp and the calculations form? Well, it was, uh, my friends from high school. Um, and initially it was a fake band. You, you might have heard this or not, but mm-hmm. it was just like, uh, I, mean, I wasn't really necessarily involved with the roots of it. Um, I was kind of hanging around with a couple other guys who were like more into skateboarding and, and just like Van Halen and stuff. Um, and also I would hang out with the Mr. Up guys. It was kind of like I was hanging out in between these like two camps at my, at Bellevue Christian high school. <laughs> Um, and they, you know, they weren't like, I mean, there were so few people at that school. It wasn't like there was a big dividing line, you know? Um, what, like how did, I guess, how, how did it transition from the joke band into becoming like a real band? Cause oh, ultimately, you know, you have a few releases. I've got that seven inch. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it was, it was just like a fake band. And I remember like, uh, uh, a couple of those guys went to um, well, I was like French class. They went to France, and that was like you know Mr. Epps European tour. It was, <laughs> you know, it was all just like in our in in their heads, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think just somewhere along the line, we're like, well, you know, you know, we're just bored kids, and um, I remember being at. Uh, Darren and Todd, the drummer and eventual bass player's house. You know, we spent a lot of time hanging out there. Darren was actually a really good drummer. He 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 knew what he was doing. Um, uh, and you know, just started making noise. And I think there was like weird films that were being made and stuff like that. You know, I don't think I don't know if I've ever seen any of them, but like, there's probably like Super Eight cameras running with like a cat with smoke coming out of its butt (laughs) with a, like, you know, a background of like black background with stars on it, just stuff like that. Um, uh, Criterion stuff though. Pardon? Criterion collection stuff. Oh, oh, for sure. That's found. I think that needs to be (laughs) reissued. That cat actually, I think, uh, uh, does a face plant into the eye of the moon. (laughs) Um, so I, I don't know, somewhere along the lines, we decided to just like 
try playing music together. And like uh, my friend Smitty and I went halves on this guitar in a pawn shop and a 30 watt PV amp. Uh, Todd bought a bass rig. Uh, I remember one of the guys who was like kind of in the initial group of when the band was a, a, a fake thing, Peter Wick, he, he, he was like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to like, uh, uh, make, make music my life. <laughs> At which point we're like, how the hell is that going to happen? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? But uh, you say that and it's I, and, yeah, incredible. And then, and then, and then, you know, here I am almost 35, 40 years later. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, and you're not the only one, right? Like, you know, obviously Steve as well, but like Todd Morey was in atomic 61 and then right. like Darren, Darren, uh, was like in tumor. Oh no. Steel pull bathtub. Right. Steel pull bathtub. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's, it's kind of like everyone in that band wound up, you know, it's like a uh, deep wound or something where everyone winds up being in a, a bunch of different cool, interesting bands afterwards. Like, right, right, right. You know, West coast deep wound, but slow. <laughs> um, but like, where did Mr. Epp and the calculations fit in? Like, were you playing with bands like the puds or were you playing with like kind uh, of more of the attachment scene or, or either? No, uh, um, I would say our brother band was like the limp Richards down in federal way. Okay. <laughs> Did um, they record? I don't know if I've ever heard them. Oh, they're fantastic. I got to find I, that record. Absolutely. There's no record. Okay. Good. There's like tapes. Okay. Um, and, you know, we were, we were like the, I mean, I, I found out later that a bunch of the people in the punk scene were from the suburbs, but to me, they all seemed like they lived in the U district or, you know, just like, we're from this tight scene and we were kind of these interlopers that, you know, didn't dress super cool. Um, and the, the limp Richards, we kind of had, I guess, kind of more of an, of approach that was in common. Like, you know, none of us were like punk rock Fonzies with leather jackets and shit. Yeah. Yeah, no, it will. I think that's what I love about that record is, is it is like super unpretentious in its pretentiousness. Oh, I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, I think the problem uh, with us was like, we took shit really seriously, even if it was like uh, a cover for the fact that we couldn't play. Like, you know, we, you know, our, our aspirations, which I think was a self-justifying thing is like, we're terrible. So like our whole approach is that like, if we can clear this hall, that's, that's a win for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like what shows and what halls were you clearing? Like what kind of other bands were you playing with other than the, the Limp Richards? Uh, well, the very first show we ever played was with student nurse who, uh, and that was a band that was, that had like the owners of Roboto records in them. Like, uh, uh, um, and they were kind enough to let us play with them <laughs> at, at a show and, you know, uh, bottom of Queen Anne Hill in Seattle at a rented hall. And from there, we just sort of like learned like, oh, to play a show, you rent a hall and approach other bands and see if they want to, you know, join up, you know, and that was kind of, that was how I saw local bands was just like, it went from like going to see a couple of handful of arena shows, then seeing Devo at the show box and just going like, Holy fuck. This is, you don't just have to sit like in some seat, like 10 miles away from the stage. You know, you're everyone in the crowd is engaged or pogoing, you know? And, and I remember like, deciding I could maybe try to get close to the stage and warming my way through the crowd and like basically getting to within like one person from the stage. And, and at one point, like Bob one doing a guitar solo and like kind of going over the crowd and I reached over and touched the neck of the guitar and he like fucking hit me on the head with it. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, that just would not have happened. And even like 
you know, like a kink show. There's the barricade between the stage and the audience and, and everybody's just like stoned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was there any opener of the Devo show? No, they, uh, um, well, the opener was their films. Oh yeah. And they, uh, they played two shows. Like the first one sold out really quickly. It was like right after freedom of choice came out, but before whip, it was a hit. It's amazing how they were kind of popular, like right out of the gate. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were obviously such a weird band. Yeah. Um, but they had like a look and an, you know, like that an image, and it was their own like insular philosophy, and I think that was all somehow appealing. And they could write a hook, you know. I think that helped. Oh, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it caught, yeah. Like it's just one of those things where. It's funny how it's such a weird thing that's kind of like I, nothing before it really sounds the same, yet it kind of seems like it was, it had a following right out of the gate, like an underground following almost. Right, 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 right. Where'd you, what was the first Seattle like punk show that you went and saw? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I remember going to like, there was like a, a local fanzine called Desperate Times. And so that's kind of how you'd find out about these shows. And there were like, I remember reading about these shows at the Gorilla Room, which was a bar and all of us were underage. So we didn't even bother trying to go and finding out later, like the reason it closed down was basically they were letting 16 year old kids in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember we actually brought a tape to the gorilla room and handed it off to someone like hoping that like, maybe we can get a show here. Um, uh, just like, you know, like you'd see flyers for like some hall show and you'd go to it. And they're, they're also like kind of, uh, touring bands that would come through. Like, uh, I remember within, at one point within like, Two weekends, there was a, a a gang of four, nine, 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 and the Dead Kennedys. Whoa. You know, just like, and, and you know, open local bands would open those shows. Like for the Dead Kennedys, it was uh, uh, Maggot Brains, Farts, and Husker Du on Land Speed Record Tour. Um, uh, and what a show! Gang- yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Holy shit! And and, and the, the thing I remember about that show is uh, Blaine when when the farts started, he came out in a Motorhead T-shirt, and he had apparently just like Ozzy and Motorhead had played to the Paramount, and he before the show booked up to the Paramount to see Motorhead, bought a shirt, and came back and played this set, <laughs> and I was just like, oh. You know, because initially getting into, like, punk rock and hardcore especially was just, like, you know, basically ignoring all the records, that I, all the shit that I was into before, mm-hmm. you know? Like, just suddenly, it's year zero now, turn your back on all that stuff. Was that even the case in Seattle? Like, was it, because it seems like, you know, well, famously, like, rock was integrated into the sound, but, like, was there a period where people were just, like, wholesale rejecting it like hardcore everywhere was uh, i i think it depends on who you who you're talking about like uh uh my wife at the time was hanging out with uh um like the fastbacks people they had a, they had a house and like bands would practice there like bands like the living and and i think the silly killers maybe mm-hmm. the time she went out with the guitar player the silly killers and with that group of people they were like you know listening to like Van Halen and like, you know, whatever the new punk thing was at the same time, there was, they didn't discriminate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, who was like a little bit more disconnected from those people, like just kind of trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, it was just like, ah, oh, that old music's bullshit. You know, and that was, that was, that was my approach for a little while, you know, and then uh, eventually started 
going back and reassessing my old records and some of them held up after punk rock and some of them didn't. Were you already a Stooges fan prior to punk rock? No. No. Uh, When was the first time you were introduced to the Stooges? Um, I mean, that just comes from reading about stuff, you know? Um, I remember reading about like Iggy pop and they, you know, everything would just be about like how he like cut himself on stage and whipped his dick out and just be like, gross. (laughs) 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 Like, and and then, like, the Stooges kept coming up as something like, this is where this all kind of came from, you know? Like, it would just be, like, a reference. Um, and I was like, well, I guess I need to find out about this, because uh, I have a curious mind, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you could find raw power as a cutout for, like, four bucks or something like that. Uh, but the other two records were not available. Um, and then like my first year in college down in Oregon, there was, uh, it was a small town in Oregon and they had a, there was one record store there. And for some reason, the guy who had this record store in this college town had like one copy of each of the first two stooges on Canadian import. Another Canadian connection. Absolutely. It always comes back. Mark, we're finding it, that out, I think. Um, yeah, I had the big maple leaf on the back. Yeah, yeah. Well, not big, but, you know, like... A little one in the corner, yeah. Had the Electra logo and then, and then the maple leaf. And, um, you know, I had money enough to buy, like, one record, so I bought the first Stooges record. And a couple weeks later, when I had a little bit more money, I bought, the, I bought Funhouse and just both those records just blew my mind. And, and the first record was kind of funny because it was sort of like I, the only reference I could make for, you, you know, in the context was like, well, it's a little like Hendrix maybe, but not, not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a little bit like the doors maybe, but not at all. You, you, you know, it was, yeah. it was just like, this is, and there was something just so, you know, first it was like kind of like, eh, this is, it's not like complicated or anything. You know, it's coming from somebody with a background in Rush. <laughs> and just like, the more I played it, the more I just got into it and just like got into this weird little world of that band. Um, So would like eventually misrep in the calculations, would you kind of like integrate yourselves a little bit more into the Seattle scene and play with some of these bands downtown? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, we, you know, the more you start hanging out, the more you start meeting people and, uh, you know, and it turned out later that like both Kyle and Paul from soldier were like from the East side and, you know, from the suburbs and, and, uh, Smitty said one time he was taking the bus home after a show and Ward Refuser was on the bus. You <laughs> know, just like, huh, really weird. That seems like that guy would have just like been born on first and pike. <laughs> did you ever see Soldier? No, Steve did. They they only existed for like uh six months or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did see a reunion of sorts a few years back. Uh but you know, like the original bass player's dead. Um, I can't remember if Tor drummed or not. But they didn't really practice. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine so that would was, be a throwback. It was, kind of, it was kind of perfect. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably a throwback, I guess. Um, what, like, what were some of the early bands that you kind of found yourself gravitating to locally? Oh, I thought the farts were super cool. Um The refusers were scary as shit. They seemed like they were a little bit older. Um, and there was a lineup of that band uh, where they had this woman, Renee, singing. And it was like, and it was like kind of, this was at the time that I was just starting to get into like Alice Cooper, <laughs> uh, which was something I hadn't gone, was it wasn't, wasn't into beforehand. You know, I was kind of familiar with a couple of songs on the radio, like, schools out um and then like later on only women bleed but like i mean the alice cooper band like love at the death killer era 
uh, Alice Cooper, like that, that these guys sort of seem to be more connected with that than like punk rock, mm-hmm. if it makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they had this really tall blonde woman singing and they're fucking fantastic. Frightening, frightening though. And, you know, you know, for like a, a kid who wasn't, uh, <laughs> aware of all the, uh, um, the proclivities that people like that might be into. <laughs> yeah. What about the, uh, Jim? Ba- but they, 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 you know, like they, uh, <laughs> the, I remember seeing them one time at the gorilla gardens, which was a l- different place in the gorilla room. And like the drummer, um, I was just like, it's so weird. The drummer's like falling asleep. And then he would like do like a drum fill, like around the drum and he would kind of wake up. And then he'd like start keep playing. And then he'd like his eyes just get closed and closed. And then he'd do a drum fill and wake up. And I was just like, ah, he must be really tired. <laughs> I had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're saying that you kind of had an older vibe, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Older, really drugged out vibe. Yeah. Well, they've been one of the first bands in town, like doing that kind of like, I guess, new wave for Broadway. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, I mean, there were a lot of things that were happening kind of in the mid seventies that like were ready to take off kind of when punk happened. Like, um, there's a band called the telepaths that morphed into the blackouts. Mm -hmm. Like they started in 75 and I remember, uh, like I was hired by the uh, EMP, which is now a thing called Mopop, which is Paul Allen's museum thing to like work on uh, the local punk rock history thing. So I got to interview like Tamada Duplenty and like Bill Rieflin and, uh, you know, various people that were around and stuff. So it, it was that was pretty cool and pretty eye-opening. Um, but like Bill Rieflin, uh, who sadly passed away just like weeks ago. Um, I remember him saying like, yeah, it, like the, the band met because one of them was carrying Funhouse down the Ave. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, okay. You know, in, in the, early mid seventies. Right. And that band started in 75 and, um, and he said by then they were kind of more into King Crimson and then, you know, punk rock came along and, but they weren't like a regular punk rock band. They were like kind of more advanced or whatever. I don't know if advanced is the right, but they were already doing their thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, like in a, in the way, like a lot of bands were like, you know, like Devo was doing their thing before 77. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like 74. There's like, well, that hardcore Devo stuff that's recordings from then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess during that, making that project, you get to hear much of that Tupperware stuff. Like, cause he, Bill Rieflin was in that too. Right. Maybe I've never heard the Tupperwares. There's one song on YouTube that sounds like pretty punk it, but i think the performance is from like 78 but they go back to 74 and el ducci was in the band too and all this crazy stuff huh crazy it, it feels like it was going well there there was a thing called the Zawiz kids okay that, uh started they, they were like kind of a sister act to the coquettes okay yep um and like you know it was like kind of a theater group you know, like flamboyant, mostly gay, few women were involved. Um, but there's also a, a music component to them. And there was like a couple of bands, like a couple of people in bands who uh, came out of that from like the lewd mm. uh, to the screamers. Um, there's a local metal band called TKO that, uh, uh, some of those guys were involved with that. And, uh, and apparently, um, Nikki six was sort of involved with that stuff too. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's amazing how many, you know, obviously, you know, very storied at a certain point, you know, the scene that you're very much a part of as well, but like that, like consistently through how many people that wind up doing things throughout all music kind of come out of this Seattle underground scene. A lot of them came from like one high school. Really? Yeah. Roosevelt high school. That's like where, uh, El Duce went, <laughs> uh, uh, my wife's sister, uh, actually had a class with him <laughs> and had, was lumped in his group, group with him to do a project. And, uh, the teacher was like, don't worry, I'm not going to let him drag you guys down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, Nikki Six went there. Sir Mixalot went there. Just like pretty, pretty wild. Like Duff McKagan went there. Man, something in the water of that school. Apparently, because they would all have been kind of contemporaries too. Like within a few years. Well, within a few years, I would say probably within like eight years or something. How did uh, Green River kind of come together out of Mister Up in the calculations? Like after that ends, I mean. Well, well, Steve joined Mister Up like for the last six months of the band, and uh, Darren decided. I think I think it was mostly Darren. Like thought we were getting too rock, <laughs> which is funny to me. Um, uh, and uh, so so the band broke up and. Steve and I were like, we want to keep playing music. Um, and a friend of ours, Alex, who went to high school with uh, Steve, um, you know, he said he would drum. Uh, we thought Jeff Amit was a really, really cool bass player from watching his band Deranged Diction and uh, uh Steve actually um, got a job at the same uh, espresso place that Jeff worked at. And this was like in the early days of espresso. There weren't like <laughs> Starbucks all around town or anything like that. It was just like there was just like one one or two places, you know, and, uh, you know, got to know Jeff a little bit better. <laughs> and he, Jeff was not a fan of Mr. Up by any means. He was like, oh, you guys can't play. But he... Uh, <laughs> I think he realized that we were motivated to do stuff and his band deranged diction had, which had moved out from Missoula was sort of like kind of falling apart for whatever reason, like people, he would go to practice and he would be the only one who would show up. <laughs> it's like, well, this sort of sucks. Um, and that's kind of how we started. Um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter, we like we played one show as a four piece stone had joined the band, but didn't feel comfortable enough to play that first show. Um, and stone also went to high school with Steve and, and Alex with, uh, did direct diction and Mr. Up ever play shows together? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you for sure. That, that record's pretty awesome. I've only heard the record, obviously, but like the uh, Direct Diction record is is uh, pretty raging. And I think one of the few punk records I can think of from Montana. Right. Uh, there's a Circle, not Circle 7. What was it? Uh, the guy from Circle 7. Um, the Great Society. No, not Great Society. That's a different thing. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but like Jeff actually released... Uh, the record of that stuff. And I can't remember the name, man. The, can't remember the name of that. So there was um, a scene. There, there was a small thing that was happening there at the time. Like Steve Albini was from there. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think he might've even recorded that band who I'm, his name. I'm just not remembering right now. Ah, I'll look it up. Sorry for the about intro. that. No, don't worry about it at all. This is amazing. <laughs> this is awesome. So I'm sorry that I'm like just treating treating this like a, a like a college class right now, but I'm I'm picking up <laughs> a lot right now. So 
Um, like, did you, you know, you'd mentioned the lewd earlier and, and obviously stones, I think his cousin played in that band, the snots, which is like a lewd band or associated band too. Right. That snots record is fantastic. Awesome record. Holy. It's on my want list still. Um, but do you ever see the lewd or how did that stuff cross over? Was that, I guess they moved to San Francisco. By the, by the time I was going to shows, I think the lewd had already moved to San Francisco. Um, I did see Metal Church. Oh yeah, yeah. Which, which had you know Blabo from the Lude on guitar. Absolutely. <laughs> I had no idea about that connection and the fact that like uh, Dale Crover used to hang out with those dudes too when he was like a oh, little right. kid. Right, right, right. And it's like once again, just like another layer. Like it's not just kind of punk stuff and, and industrial stuff as we've brought up, but it's like it's like metal stuff too. Like it's amazing how much stuff was kind of consistently coming out of the scene. Right, right. Where did uh, Green River fit in as far as playing shows? Like, because uh, you're well, you're. I mean, like, in in the sense that you're kind of like ahead of like the new scene that seems like it would come a couple years later when you first start out. But like, like, was it like playing with bands like the Fastbacks or like what were the what were the shows like that you know you were playing at that time? Because there's also this weird parallel new wave scene with bands like the attachments too, and, and stripes and stuff like that too. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know much about that stuff. It's so weird how that's like a whole other scene that's happening at the exact same time that I keep finding weird records from thinking they're going to be punk, but they're not. <laughs> yeah, that was, there was, there was sort of a new wavy bar scene. Um, th- th- those bands were, uh, more a part of um although the attachments um if i remember correctly was chris freeman in that band do you yep. know that by name yep chris freeman was on the podcast and we spent a lot of time talking about that scene oh right 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 so i worked with chris at at, at muzak he mentioned that on the show yeah yeah um and then he ended up in pansy division which is awesome yeah it, it, it's it's amazing how, yeah, like it felt like Pansy Division was closer to punk than the attachments were, at least sonically. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. The attachments, they were like, they played the bars with like bands like Moving Parts and just, just stuff that I was really not familiar with at all because it wasn't, you know, loud enough or weird enough. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's amazing how, because, like, you know, population-wise, it's not, like, a huge, huge city, like, on par with, like, New York or Los Angeles, but, like, it seems like every second person must have been playing in some sort of band or another. Um, <laughs> there are actually a lot more people in this town than you think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, like, a big place, obviously, but, like, you know, population-wise, it's smaller than, like, in New York or Chicago, but, like... You're putting out more bands than LA's coming out at that time that I can think of. Like, obviously, no way. Well, like, like metal stuff. But I mean, like, I'm talking in my little punk rock bubble, which is the only thing that exists in this parameters of the podcast. But like, you know, like, there's just so much stuff that's kind of coming out of Seattle in the throughout the '80s. Well, if you're lumping in the the attachments with the attachments and everything in between, then. Yeah, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. But like, if you're in LA and you're like putting London and uh, um, Circle One and everything in between, <laughs> I still you, think you know what I mean. That's it's going to be that's going to be a lot more bands in Southern California. Okay, okay, fair enough. It's more concentrated, maybe the way I'm looking at it. But you're right, you're right. Um, so, like, what was your first tour? Uh, first tour was a Green River tour in like 1985. And where'd you guys go on that very first one? We went to, uh, our final destination on the East coast was Boston, but we, but there was no show there. (laughs) (laughs) There's, I actually saw a shirt that Jeff had made for the tour, you know, a few years back and had just all these dates on it. And when, the tour actually happened. We only played seven shows. And one of those shows was a pickup show <laughs> in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, 
Did you guys play with any other bands? Uh, I, you must have, but like any other bands that you remember on those shows? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we played with uh, Big Black in um, Newport, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And we end up like kind of hanging out in Columbus, Ohio for a while and end up getting on a bill with Decry. Mm-hmm. And in the... Meantime, we uh, uh, got to see the Minutemen and the Necros, which was killer. Did you already kind of know the Minutemen? Because isn't Mr. Up in the Calculations on like a new Alliance Records comp? Yeah, but that was all through the mail. Okay. We'd never, we'd never met any of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they hadn't... They, they It took them a while to get to Seattle. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't tour as much as like Black Flag did, at least not up up the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they they played a show with like the U Men and the Melvins, and I think Stalag Thirteen. Oh, what a sick! How do I bill. remember that? That's because <laughs> you got great taste. That's why. <laughs> that's actually like you know, like for for punk rock and specifically hardcore terms, like kind of a sonically diverse bill too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the U-Men there. What was the first time, you, like, when was the first time you saw the U-Men? Uh, I might have been at a hall called the Fun Hole. <laughs> I mean, I saw them, saw them once with the original bass player. Was that before with, the records were out? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what was the sound like for them back then? Same thing? I mean, I think before Jim Tillman entered the picture, there was probably, my guess is a little bit simpler. Okay. Uh, but I don't have a, I couldn't say for sure. So going back to that uh, first tour, who was that show in Boston supposed to be with? Do you remember? Or like, was Gerard supposed to set that up? Yeah, Gerard was, uh, Gerard had uh, apparently set it up and I think kind of, Talking to Jeff, it was supposed to be with the UK subs at the channel or something like that. Damn. So that was like an anchor show, I guess, of that whole tour. Well, except we wouldn't have made any more money than we made <laughs> opening course. for Sam Hain at, at the Greystoke. And, or is that, that, was that the name of the place in Detroit? You play with Sam Hain there? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and it was like a day or two before uh, Halloween. And we were not liked at all. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I love, I love Green River, but I feels like, yeah, the sound you guys were playing was definitely ahead of the time at the time. Like it's, uh, I don't know, like it's today sounds really fresh. Like that record come out today and I think it would still sound like, like new. Huh? The Homestead record. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I think I can only handle about three songs on that record at this point. Really? Yeah. <laughs> was the seven inch supposed to have a cover originally? What was that? Was the seven inch always supposed to have no sleeve or did you have a cover design for it at some point? No, the, the cover was a label. And it was like, it had a green outer sleeve, right? The first press or something. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been awesome. Mark at some point in the future, would you come back and do a part two? sure yeah we got we made it all the way to 1985 that's how this thing moves man we move slow on this podcast we rush it you know <laughs> we're gonna miss some of these details that we want to talk about like you know where else are people going to talk about the attachments um well when next time you have chris freeman on <laughs> for his part two i guess we, we i don't know we spent like an hour on the first one talking about him i don't know if we can go back to it <laughs> Um, but I also just wanted to talk about like DOA before, like, were they coming down in the subhumans? Like, cause there, there seems like there was, you know, we have to bring it back to Canada one more time and there feels like there is a, you know, geographical connection, but was there like a scene connection between the two places? Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. And especially with like kind of the fastbacks in DOA, like the, those guys play together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, like I was in college in Oregon, like 80 to 82 to like the summer of 82. So I, 
I think missed a lot of really great shows or like kind of, you know, like kind of cool local shows. Like I know like friends of mine had seen like both the subhumans and, and DOA like a bunch during that time period. And I was just not around. What about the wipers and, and like poison idea? Were you seeing those bands at that point? Oh yeah. 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 Actually, uh, one time I somehow managed to convince someone to drive, to, to take a trip into Portland from, uh, uh, McMinnville to go see, uh, uh, the farts who I was familiar with and this band poison 13. So I saw poison 13 pretty early on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the wipers, a friend of mine from that, uh, college, uh, his older brother was like, you know, had, is this real? And, uh, so we were listening to that a lot and, you know, it, it was weird to me almost like that there would be like a band that was this good that was local and had a record out. Because mm-hmm. it seemed like Seattle was a little bit behind the curve in that in terms of like just getting, you know, putting your own records out. The fastbacks were kind of on the forefront of that. And there were, there were no, there were a couple of singles like the Silly Killers and, uh, um, the veins, things like that. Still, soldier, of course. Farts. So, I'm, I'm, never mind. I'm eating all my words. <laughs> well, there, there were, but like it, it, it seems like actually there were like a lot of like little DIY labels. Obviously, no three record, no threes records, but like also the the uh, Puds had a single, "Take Me to Your Leader," and uh, right, right, uh, Blackouts had a single, um, and so it felt like there was there were like a a real drive to get stuff out. Right, right. The the Puds uh, had one of the best punk rock moments that I can think of. They were opening for nine nine nine, and they're kind of, you know playing their sort of poppy uh, s- stuff, and the crowd it just wasn't like you know punk rock enough for the crowd, mm-hmm. and uh, you know and people are getting pissed and like probably spitting and whatnot and uh <laughs> and also one of the band members was wearing a kiss destroyer t-shirt which at the time that was like not cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know for at least a, a show that big enough that, that that was that big like you know there would have been plenty of like the fastbacks group of people would have been like fine with it, but like a lot of, you know, this show cast a wider net. So there'd have been a lot of people who were like more rigid in their punk rock ways. Absolutely. And, um, and I remember Rob saying like, okay, 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 okay. You know, we, we, we heard you, we heard you, we know what you want. We're going to, we're going to step it up a couple levels. We're going to like play something really fast and really loud. And the crowd just starts cheering and they launch into yummy, yummy, yummy. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I I could I laughed so fucking hard. It was just like this is brilliant. The crowd got so mad. <laughs> uh, you, like you said about the Wipers being almost too good to be local. That band's almost like just too good for how kind of still underground they are. Like it feels like they should yeah. be on par with Husker Du. Uh, the Wipers are one of the best bands that ever existed. Yeah, it, and it's weird. Like they're still like not. You know, they're obviously heralded, but like, it's still like for how good they are still underground. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's too late to go back in time and change that. Right. It's never too late. <laughs> we, start, <laughs> we start the quest now. <laughs> well, maybe we could make something happen for him. I'd, I'd love to see Greg Sage bring something out and tour or whatever, but I don't know if that's going to ever happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, you know, it feels like there's also just, you know, there's like, we could say that about dozens of bands too, you know, once again, like there's just so many bands specifically from this sort of time period that we're talking about that, that aren't, you know, just, just for whatever reason, because there's so many of them, I guess. Yeah. Um, another thing that's come up on this podcast before that I have to ask you about is when Jerry A was on, he told a story about when you guys were doing the big day out and you're on a boat cruise. And him getting kind of like punked off by Mick Harvey 
and you guys uh, convincing him that maybe he just throw McCarvey into the water and calling him shark bait. Um, do you remember the story? <laughs> I, I don't remember that, that story in particular, but I remember hanging out with Jerry A on that tour <laughs> and also hanging out with the bad seeds. It was, it was a pretty awesome time. <laughs> I think he had a great time too, but that story was definitely something that stuck in his craw when Mick Harvey denied being Mick Harvey to him. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, I don't I don't know what that was all about. Well, Mark, this has been awesome. And uh, as I say, anytime you want to come back for part two, the door is always open. I got a lot of time on my hands right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mark, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Mark will be back for a part two at some point in the near future. And also, Mudhoney have a brand new uh, re-release of a live album that just just came out this week um, from Live in Mexico 2005, an uh, incredible live album. And also they just recently released uh, Pedazzo de Pastel, which is a demos collection for Piece of Cake. And oh my God, does it rip so hard. And so I'll get on to who's on the show next week. But first, I kind of want to address what's happening in the world. I'm sure everyone's aware at this point that there are massive protests happening around police brutality around racist policing, around police violence, and there's still violence being committed by police at these protests. And this isn't just in America. This is These protests are happening all over the world. And I just want to say that there shouldn't be any question in anyone's mind, this podcast 100% stands with these protesters. Black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. The lives of, of people being suffering horrible racist violence at the hands of people that are paid. These people are paid to protect society. And yet the way these institutions have been set up, and I I really implore you to look into the history of police and policing in the United States and policing in Canada as well. And this probably goes for around the world. You know, look into the history of the RCMP. It's ugly, it's horrible, and it's racist. And We're finally at a precipice where these changes that we have been talking about in punk songs forever could actually happen. And this is not to try and take away from the hard, hard work of black activists, of indigenous activists, of racialized people that involved in activism that have been fighting for us to get to this moment. But in punk rock, we've been talking about this moment happening too. And this is a moment where we have to take those lyrics and put them into action. You know, people have been doing this forever and putting their lyrics in action, but I think all of us need to be involved right now because otherwise all this talk in these songs, it was just words. It was just bullshit. It was just fantasy. It, it, it's, it's not real unless we do something with it. So I implore you all, and I'm sure a lot of you are doing this, Go out there and find people that are talking about what's happening right now, talking about defunding police, talking about a complete radical shift in society to to finally step away from the racism that has been imposed by, by white people for centuries, you know? And people will be like, oh, there's racism in other places. But no, the racism that we're talking about, it, it, it's a white racism. It's a white colonial racism that goes back... For, for, for centuries. Um, so go out there, read far more literate and, and reasoned and succinct people that are talking on these issues, because there are a lot of people right now that are finally getting voice. Um, this podcast is a punk podcast. And because of that, we're going to be political. You, know, you can't have this thing without it being political. As far as the actual mechanics of this podcast and the way this podcast works, Tristan and I talk about this all the time. This podcast is not reflective enough of the diversity that exists within the punk scene. And that is something that we constantly work at and we constantly strive to be better at. And yeah, we failed at it. And I can only promise you that we will continue to strive and continue to work at it and hopefully get to a better place with it. And that is something that we need to try harder and strive better for. And we have discussed that and we are going to be doing that. Uh, So I apologize for that. Definitely. I also, once again, 
implore everyone to go out there and get educated. And I'm sure there's people listening right now that are, <laughs> have lived experience, uh, that, that have been more educated on this subject than myself. So I'm not lecturing anyone. I'm just speaking from my own position where I'm going out there and I'm trying to get more educated on this subject because I went to school and I took classes about this. I've spoken to friends about this. I've read books about this, but I don't know. It really took to this week for me to, to realize how little I knew, you know? Um, anyway, uh, this, this thing is still meant to be somewhere you can kind of just tune in and hear people talk about music. And if they want to talk about politics, that will be there as well. Uh, I just felt that given the fact that there's a platform for this, you know, silence is complicity and, uh, we don't want to be complicit in any racist bullshit, any fascist bullshit. So, all right. Uh, next week on the show or later on this week on the show, I keep saying next week on the show. I'm never going to get, <laughs> never, ever going to get the hang of that. Uh, we're going to have the dudes from the band, no age coming on Brandy and Dean are two of my favorite people. I met them years ago playing shows with them and they have a brand new record about to drop. And I'm very, very excited for, for all of us to hear it. Um, it's, it's a fantastic, uh, well, the first single that I've heard, <laughs> the first couple songs I've heard of it are amazing. Uh, so we're going to have two, like a no age weekend in celebration of this new album, Randy first Dean, a uh, second, and that'll be coming to you this weekend on the show. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, I've, I've talked a lot, a lot more than I normally do in these intros and extras. So I'm going to let you go on with your lives, but remember, uh, smash fascism, black lives matter. And the lives of indigenous people matter. Get involved, get, get educated on the subjects as well. Uh, go out there and make your own culture. Uh, sign your organ donor cards. I love you. And I'll see you next week on the show. Thank you. <laughs>